I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So exactly two weeks ago, Bucks coach Dirk Cutter stood at a podium and he asked rhetorically, If we fired Mike Smith, then what would the next move be? All right. The Bucks are about to find out because on Monday, we made a change at, at defensive coordinator earlier today. Mike Smith will be replaced by Mark Duffner as a defensive coordinator. Why now? Why not before the bye week? Um, before, you know, they had to go into this game against Atlanta and after giving up 48 points to the Bears. Well, we're going to hear from Dirk Cutter and linebacker Levante David on the firing of Smith, and we'll dive into what was really behind the decision. We'll also discuss the crazy end of that game in Atlanta. Was it legal? The Bucks don't think so. And the Lightning scored eight goals against Columbus. Eight! And my girls weren't there in the building to see any of them. Hard to believe. All that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Verstick. Before we get started on this podcast, hey, do you want to be a millionaire? Well, for 30 years, Howard and Sue Million have brought the cool comfort of air conditioning to the entire Tampa Bay area, making thousands of residents millionaires with their quality products and service. Millionaire is currently offering 0% interest for 72 months on qualifying equipment. So give them a call at 727-862-2100 to take advantage of this great offer on brand new quality train air conditioning units or schedule service or maintenance. Call 727-862-2100 today. Trust the masters of comfort. Millionaire. Okay, so uh, Steve, as fate would have it, I am uh, destined to be driving in a car when I get word from various sources, according to my sources, and he did not break it, by the way, um, I think it was a close to a tie, me and Ian at Rappaport, that Mike Smith, the Bucks defensive coordinator, gone. What took them so afternoon. long? <laughs> it's a great question. Well, we will talk about that. Um, I'm, I'm not really sure. I mean, it was, it was two weeks to the day that I uh, essentially, you know, asked the question, like, you know, why not fire him now? And, and, and the answer was, okay, he played the hypothetical. And, and coaches rarely do that unless they're impassioned about something. And he said, okay, so I fire Mike Smith. You know, I'm like, all right, so you fire Mike Smith. Well, well, what would be the next move? Well, everybody knew that the next move would be that you have somebody on your staff replace him. And while it's not ideal, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, um, they did have Mark Duffner, who was the Bengals' defensive coordinator for a couple of years. Now this is going back a while. When Dick LeBeau was the head coach of the Bengals, and you know the Bengals, that was a long time ago, and he was a disaster. Are we where we um, want to be, Rick? No, we're not. Are we going <laughs> to get better? Yes, we are. That's how he answered every question as a press <laughs> conference. Was Dick LeBeau. You would he ask him a question. It didn't matter what you asked. He would ask his own question and then answer it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Duffner was the coordinator then. So he has experience. Look, he's, he's the most experienced assistant coach or staff member. He's 65 years old, so they're not trying to get younger at the defensive coordinator position. Um, but that's pretty much the only answer you had. I mean, you could go with John Hoke, who did it at South Carolina. Uh, if you wanted to try something totally new, it, it'd be Brenson Buckner, but he's never been a coordinator anywhere 
former player and defensive line coach, and they got enough of their own problems. So, you know, Dirk finally went uh, the, the route with Duffner. But it is it is shocking in some ways that you know if you if you thought that this was a pretty good possibility and I I tend to think that that Cutter was laying the groundwork for it not being that this was not something he wanted to do. In fact, he said, you know, on Monday that it wasn't anything he ever saw coming. I mean, he almost made it sound like somewhat like he was blindsided. Now I know he understands that it's a it's a bottom line business, um, but by the same token, you know. He he seemed like a guy that that never expected. He said he said in fact I didn't ever see this day coming, but it's here. So I think a lot of fans saw it coming, and and to be honest with you, having spoken to a few few players, they saw it coming as well. I mean, you can't fire the whole team, right? And this defense has been historically bad. I mean, they're on pace to set a record for the most points allowed. Um. There are so many damning statistics uh, that you can go over with this defense, whether you're talking about red zone. But just start with the fact that they're allowing 34.6 per game. And that's the most in the league by far. And in the last three weeks, they've buried their team on, you know, in the game in the first half. I mean, the teams have, have scored an average, average of 30.7 points in the first half of the last three games. And so you've given your teams no chance to try to come back and win. So something had to, had to give, Steve, but it would have made more sense if you were going to make the change, if this was something that you thought need, you needed to have done it before the bye week because then Duffner would have a chance, along with the rest of the defensive staff, to evaluate what had been done by Mike Smith and by the defense the first three weeks or the first four weeks, first quarter of the season, and then maybe maybe they'd have an opportunity to put their stamp on it. As it stands... He's got to worry about Sunday. He's got to worry about one thing, and that's beating the Cleveland Browns. So this was odd timing, I thought, on the part of uh, of the Bucks. I think the timing was extremely odd, but I I think, and, and this is all speculation because you know, well that's what we do. The, the time, well, but uh, you've talked to more people than I have, is what I'm saying. I understand. So the timing is this season's the timing's bizarre on a lot of things this season. First of all, Jameis Winston being suspended for three games. And then the third game's a Monday nighter, which the short week for players don't practice as much. You know, they, they, right. they, they, they're in film review and, and, and that stuff, but they're not practicing on the field as much because of the short week. So you're not going to well, start. Off. Jam- they were off six days. As sure. Well, yeah, and during the bye. But, but, I mean, leading up to yeah. the bye. So Jameis wasn't going to start right. week four. Dirk said all along he thought, you know, after the bye, Jameis would yeah. come back. So you're going into the bye, and the, the thing you're worried about coming into the bye is Jameis Winston being your quarterback. And what changes is that going to be? What you're going to do? But meanwhile, your off your defense is historically bad, and you should have made the change then. And and maybe Dirk didn't want to make the change. Maybe maybe it's I'm I'm too busy focusing on I got to change my offense now, or you know self scout and and do that on the offensive side. I, you don't know why, but it makes it makes less sense to make the change now, because as you said, you know they could have had two weeks there to, you know, redo things as, as you know, you're, you're now your interim or new defensive coordinator to, you know, you want that. But, I mean, that's the early bye week hurts you in this regard because you had to make a decision quick. And they didn't make right. the decision. And now they come out, play one more game, and make the decision. And, right. And, and, and I think it, it's the right decision. It's just two weeks too late. 
They also allowed, you know, Mike Smith and others, but mostly Mike Smith to be the one that was doing the evaluating and make changes. And if he's not going to be here, clearly that doesn't matter. Um, Look, here's what Dirk Cutter had to say about why they didn't do it after the Chicago Bears game. You know, we were going into the bye week. We've we've had quite a few things uh, injury wise not work out the way we had originally planned. I thought it was important that uh, both sides of the ball be able to go through the self scouting process during the bye week and uh, see if we could make some adjustments that would that would help us play better as a football team. Uh, I, I do think that we had a, a good plan on defense for Atlanta. We, d- we did a we did a lot of things that we we had planned to do. We did some things differently, but it just didn't work out that way. And so, uh, you know, this is a this is a production business, and you know we have to we have to play better on on defense. We have to play better as a football team, but we have to play better better on defense. Look, Dirk Cutter has a long and very close relationship history. What what, what have you with Mike Smith? I mean, the two. You know, we're on the Jacksonville staff under Jack Del Rio back in 2007. They were both coordinators on that football team. Mike, Mark Duffner was the linebackers coach on that team as well. Um, and Todd Munkin, you know, w- was also uh, a wide receivers coach on that team. So, you know, these guys have been together, you know, since the Jack Del Rio days, um, going back to like 07. And then when Mike Smith became the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, of course, he brought Dirk Cutter. Uh, there to be the, his offensive coordinator. And then Cutter reciprocated when, you know, he became head coach of the Bucks after one year's offensive coordinator here and brought in Mike Smith. So you have this long relationship and a ton of respect between the guys, obviously. And Mike Smith has been successful as a, as a head coach, as a, as a coach. And the year, you know, that he was in Jacksonville with Dirk, they were very successful uh, as a team and as a defense. So his resume is, you know, is pretty good. And even after the first year that he was here with the Bucks, they weren't great, but they weren't they weren't the worst defense in the league. In fact, they had the best third down defense. They got a, a ton of turnovers that year. I re- I remember writing a story that the last eight games they played as well as any defense in the league when the Bucks went nine and seven under Dirk Cutter in the first season. I mean, there was numbers to support that. Um, and then Mike Smith gets some job uh, interviews for head coaching jobs. He goes to San Diego. He goes back to Jacksonville, which is one that I thought was going to be an automatic fit for him. And he doesn't get either job. But the Bucks do something interesting. They say, hey, look, instead of interviewing for head coaching jobs every year and us being possibly left high and dry, how about we sign you to the biggest, most lucrative defensive coordinator's salary in, an, in the NFL? So you know, of much that is given, much is expected, but it wasn't delivered. And then the wheels fell off. I mean, you know, they had some bad players. They didn't draft any defensive players to speak up for four years. Um, It caught up to them. And the free agents they signed weren't very good. All those guys are gone. So, the, the you know, after finishing last in the league a year ago, the question was, hey, is it is it Smith? Is it what he's doing? Or is it just that we didn't give any damn players? Well, their answer was, we didn't give any players. So what did they do? They went out in the offseason, and they rebuilt this whole thing. I mean, really, almost almost scorched earth. They went and got you know, all new defensive linemen, with the exception of Gerald McCoy and Noah Spence, who isn't even playing. Will Golston, I guess, is, is still around. Um, but, you know, you trade for you, – you signed Vinnie Curry and Bo Allen from the Super Bowl champions. You get Mitch Unrein, who's gone on IR. 
you draft Vita Vea, who unfortunately, you know, winds up hurting his calf the first day in pads and misses seven weeks. And then you trade for Jason Pierre-Paul, who's the best thing you can say about their defense right now. And that's the guy that has five sacks in five games and is playing, is playing like a baller. Um, so you do all this stuff, and then it stinks. You know, even with the, the young corners, I mean, I know they had some injuries. Take a look at Atlanta's defense. They're not making excuses. They've lost every major player they have on that side of the ball. And yet they were able to win the football game. So there was a lot expected of Mike Smith, and a lot needed to be done and done quickly. And, Steve, it just couldn't go worse. I put on the film even, you know, look, Chicago was the worst, one of the worst performances I've ever seen. Now think about what I'm telling you here. I've been covering this team since 1990. You know how many bad defenses I've watched or bad teams in general? I mean, I can't remember them all. And they were epically bad. I've right? been here eight years and can remember several. Right. And for, for this group, for what they put on film in Chicago – that's probably the worst performance I think I've ever seen. I mean, guys running scot-free down the field, six touchdown passes to Mitch Trubisky. You know, he didn't have that kind of success against the Miami Dolphins, and last time I checked, no one has them going to the Super Bowl. So something was wrong, okay, in the teaching, in the game planning, in the strategy, getting out coached, not making adjustments. Something was not right. And we know that all offenses are evolving. We know – the scores are, are getting out of whack. The yardage is getting out of whack. You know, the NFL has sort of, you know, put quarterbacks in a bubble wrap to the point where some guys are actually turning them free for fear of getting a penalty if they fell on them. So all that you kind of think, all right, well, you know. But they win the first two games and everybody kind of whistles past the grab yard. Well, you know, they give up 40 to New Orleans. But, hey, what a win. What a great win for the Bucks. And then, you know, you do a pretty good job against – a very limited Philadelphia Eagles team that was missing a lot of pieces, not the least of which was Carson Wentz. But you still gave up a ton of points in the second half of that game. Uh, and then it's, you know, the three disastrous games, down 30-7 to to Pittsburgh and 41-3 to against Chicago. And then on Sunday, 21-6, to you know, against an Atlanta Falcons team that shouldn't be able to stop anybody. But you just couldn't get the ball back. I mean, you couldn't stop them. They scored on four of their first five possessions in the game. And then when you did finally stop them in the second half and got a couple of three punts in three series, you just needed one more. You just needed one more stop. And you allow them to score a touchdown and kick a 57-yard field goal. So somebody had to go. And look, the way these things are, I mean, of the guys that I've covered that have been fired in season or even out of season, I think of coordinators going back as far as, you know, Mike Shula, who they got at the Pro Bowl. You know, Tony Dundee's written in his book, he didn't want to fire Mike Shula. He still considers it one of the biggest mistakes he's ever made. And Tony had the right to hire and fire his own staff based on contracts. But the Glazers wanted Mike Shula out. And Mike Shula ultimately was out. And then, you know, Les Steckel was fired after a season, and Les was, you know, was Shula's replacement. I don't know who steered that, but it was after the season. Then the in-season guys, um, you know, I can guarantee you ownership had a hand in all of those. Jeff Jagosinski, 10 days before the season opener with Raheem Morris as coach. Jim Bates with, you know, 
after 10 weeks of the season as Raheem Morris's defensive coordinator in the same year. That was all front office slash ownership. So, you know, Dirk can stand up there. I'm not going to say he's not being truthful, um, but he wanted it known that, you know, this was his decision alone. Of course, he consulted Jason Light, and he acknowledged that. Um, but I, I, there, there seems to be, you know, these things are not done in a vacuum. And in the past, ownership has weighed in on all of them. To me, the timing feels like if you didn't do it two weeks ago, mm-hmm. then it was going to be outside pressure to do it at any point in the season. Right. That it was going to be either, you know, look, if Dirk didn't make the decision two weeks ago going into the bye, then if it was going to happen after the next game or three games or whenever it was going to happen, it was going to be Jason Light and or the Glazers making that call. That's what it feels, feels like. That's what it feels like. Or it was so indefensible that even Dirk realizing, I, I got no evidence. I can't. There's nothing for me to give them here. Like, I, I can't fight this anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't fight the good fight or they're going to get me. That message could have been conveyed as well. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we won't know that. Nope. We won't. But but it's a, it's, it's a little like, you know, I always apply everything to a few good men or a few good bucks in this case. But it's like, why the two orders? You know, if Mike Smith was not to be touched, then why did he have to go? <laughs> you know? I mean, seriously. Somebody, so somebody ordered the code red. And, you know, Dirk is saying he did. Okay, well, look, I, I'm going to take him at his word, but I think there was more than a little bit of external pressure. Well, or, or, somebody pressure ordered, call it. or somebody ordered, somebody's getting fired. You pick who? Well, possibly. Yeah, it could have been ultimatum. I mean, all I know is this, is that Dirk, or Dirk Cutter has never been more vulnerable as a head coach than he is right now. I mean, think about the way this year has gone. You know, he came off a really bad season last year at 5-11, and 11, thought he was going to be fired for John Gruden in all probability. Um, when the Glazers kept him, he said that it was courageous on their part, which is an odd thing to say. I would be like it was smart on their part, but it was courageous for them not to fire him after 5-11. and 11. So here he is. He goes into the offseason, and, and I think this was a good move, and if he came up with it, then it was even, it's even better. But Todd Munkin is now calling plays in the preseason and in training camp, and then, oh, yeah, we're going to let him do it during the regular season, and he crushes it, you know. They still have one of the top offenses in the league, you know, statistically. So, but that makes, you know, Dirk, that's what Dirk was. Dirk's a play caller. Dirk was the offensive. He was the quarterback risper, all those things. And so he gave something away, maybe willingly, maybe not so willingly. We don't know, but he gave it away. Now you peel another layer of the onion, and, you know, his good friend, Mike Smith, who he worked for when Mike was a head coach in Atlanta, now he has to get rid of him. Okay, there goes another layer. Pretty soon, we know how this goes, right? I mean, you, you're you next. You know, if you don't win and turn this thing around and quickly, you know, there have been many coaches, Mike McCarthy, a bunch of others, um, you know, Pete Carroll, guys that have won that are able to change coordinators or lose coordinators to, you know, head coaching jobs and all that, it's not a problem. Um, given the Bucks' track record and, and Dirk's overall record, it is a problem. <laughs> I just, you know, and, and to think, and again, I had somebody ask me, well, you think Mike Smith still deserves to be a, the, the coordinator? 
I never said that he deserved it. I just made the argument that I've seen how this goes. And if people are expecting a miracle with Mark Duffner and nothing against Mark, he, he, he obviously you know forgot more football than I know. But I don't think there's a miracle out there. You know, I, I think, you know, it could be better. Well, here, here's the good thing for the Bucks. okay? So, yes, they're giving up 34 points a game. And, and you know, but so you're asking you're asking Mark Duffner to make the defense a little better because their offense can score 30 points a game. They can. Is Hold that, them to 25. Do you know if they'd have held these teams mm-hmm. to 25 points a game, they'd be 4-1 right now? I mean, that's that's the, the thing about making the move and whether you made it two weeks ago or, or you know, on Monday is that you just need your defense to be a little better, particularly early in a game. Early, right. Keep Don't you in the us. game. Keep you in the right. game. Right. Don't, you know, don't play catch up on this. You're killing us. Yeah. You know, so if, if Duffner can, you know, whether it's simplifying some things or, you know, changing some of the, the, the you know, blitzing a little more, whatever he's going to change, and he's going to change some things. And, and, and I don't think you're going to see them go from giving up 34 points a game to 10. No, but and you, don't need them suddenly, to. you don't need this. They're not going to suddenly be a 3 4 team or something no, like that. You need this defense to be. Overall, slightly better, but particularly early in the game, better. Right. And give your team a shot because you've got right. the offensive I mean, weapons to do that. 30-plus points in the first half of the last three games. Brother, you ain't going to win any of them. I mean, you can't get behind four and five scores to an NFL team and forfeit a half of football. So Not every they game, know no. Which, <laughs> no, they know which side of the ball needed needed to be fixed. The problem is, is that they spent all off season. They thought they had fixed it, right? And and I go back, and I think you you hit on a good point because, and look, anytime there's a coaching change, people always say, well, you know, I could play against his defense. I could predict what he was going to do. I don't know if that's always the case, but there wasn't a lot of creativity and imagination here. I mean, it, it's you know, when I watch the film and I put it on, I see guys making mistakes. But I also see them playing off. Like there was this one play where Atlanta has the ball first and 10, kind of close to midfield. In both corners, I kid you not, they are standing beyond the, the, you know, the yard marker for a first down when the ball is snapped. Okay, so they're, 11, they're about 10 to 11 yards off the ball when it's snapped. As a receiver heads upfield, they backpedal another five to six yards. When the tight end or the receiver turns around at the sticks in the middle of the field, to catch the ball, he's by himself and there's no one within four or five yards of him. I mean, if you're asking an NFL quarterback to play pitch and catch all day, you're going you're gonna to watch him play pitch and catch all day. He's not going to throw interceptions. You're not going to have a chance to get, to get there. And the other thing teams were doing, and I've told you it's a, co- a copycat league, right? People are like, well, you know, at least you get that one out of your system. I'm like, no. You know, that game at Chicago? You put that you on put tape. put that on tape. It's on tape, and guess what? The answers to every question on the test is right there for your next opponent. And so what does Atlanta do? They come out in seven- and eight-man protection, a couple of route concepts, and they burn them. You can't get to the quarterback. Matt Ryan has time. It's a seven-on it, – well, it's not even seven-on-seven seven drill at this point. It's more like, you know, two-on-five. But nonetheless, he's able to shred them. And – you know, so there, are, there you know, there's only so much you can do in a week, quite frankly. I think the good news is, if there is good news, 
you know, they're playing a Cleveland Browns team that, that's prone to struggle offensively with a rookie quarterback in Baker Mayfield who's got a beat-up wheel. So all those things would bode well for any defense that would be out there at Raymond James on Sunday. But it's it's not as easy as, you know, well, it's just a matter of who calls the plays. You know, that's that's rarely the problem. It it's can ra- be a it's problem. rarely the problem. The other part that this can help, and it, it doesn't always, but – Mm-hmm. Look, if you're a player, and we know the NFL, you know, your career is rather short as a whole. Oh, yeah. That they change the coach out. If this still doesn't work, yeah. they're going to change me out. That's true. And and not that the players aren't trying, not that, that they're not working hard, but it can be a little extra motivating. Well, and that's the question we asked. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, we went in the Bucks locker room and most of the defensive guys were gone. You know, they broke the news to the players in their team meeting that they had on Monday. Dirk went in there and told them, you know, they'd relieve Mike of his duties and why. I didn't sense – Here, here's what I'll say. Almost every guy universally in that building likes Mike Smith. Mike Smith is the kind of guy you'd want as a neighbor, as a brother, as a friend. There's no airs about him. I mean, this guy's made millions of dollars, right? He's, he's succeeded at the highest level. He's been in an NFC Championship game as a head coach. All of that. And yet, he's accountable. He takes it on his shoulders. Everybody likes him. I mean, they just do. But that said, he just, <laughs> he just wasn't getting it done. And, and I think he knew because he's been in this business. And, and it was probably awkward for him because he probably felt like, look, I've, I've let Dirk down and now Dirk's job is is in trouble you know I doubt that this this move surprised him I doubt that he wasn't gracious about you know accepting the decision he probably didn't like it probably wants to fix it but when we talked to the players not all of them were broken up about it but guys like Levante David said that you know he felt a little like we let we let Mike Smith down here's what Levante David had to say uh, you know, me personally, I probably I feel kind of like that because, you know, I'm the guys out there really playing for him. So I feel like I wasn't giving my best to, you know, to help him keep his job. So, you know, but like I said, man, it's a tough business. You know, hard to see a guy like that go because I know the type of person he is, you know, outside of football coaching. You know, he's a stand-up guy. Uh, never threw nobody under the bus. was always, you know, positive guy. And uh, it's hard to see it. sad to see a guy like that go especially a person like him who has great character. It'll be interesting in listening to Levante as to, you know, whether players, and sometimes this works one of two ways. You know, some players will realize, wow, they fired Mike Smith. I better, I better, I better tighten my act up because they had a hell of a lot more invested in that defensive coordinator, who was the highest paid defensive coordinator, by the way, than they do in me. So if they can fire that guy, they can fire me. You know, or the players are like, well, good. You know, that he, he's the reason we were losing, and, and I don't have to look at myself in the mirror quite as many times. So we're going to find out, you know, just, just what players think and whether it's, it's going to, you know, be something that's impactful or just a show of force, I guess, like, you know, do something. I mean, I think there's pressure in any pro sports team when the fans are upset, Steve, to say, mm-hmm. well, do something. You know what I mean? We don't care what it is, but get that guy, you know? Ryan Fitzpatrick's success the first, particularly two games, but the first four games of the season kind of hid some of the defensive problems. It, you know, I remember us talking after, you know, game one in New Orleans, and it was, you know, Fitzmagic was amazing, 
the defense gave up 40, but we said, you know, well, it's against a Hall of Famer and Drew Brees, and they were coming, you know, from behind, and, and you know, but they were also opportunistic. I mean, they had to scoop and score in that game uh, to help them, you know, get to those 48 points and hold off New Orleans. But they have five turnovers in five games, that defense. I mean, if anything else, I hope, you know, Duffner fixes the starts, but, you know, cause some fumbles. You got to cover a little tighter to get picks, but – yeah. You, you know, that they need more turnovers. They need more short fields for the offense. They need to generate some some momentum from the defense, which they're not getting. Right. And, you know, it's been especially bad in critical areas of the field, like like the red zone, where I think, you know, teams have scored 14 out of 15 times they've been down there. They've scored touchdowns, which is just an unbelievable number. They have not had a sack or an interception as a defense in the red zone. I mean – you know, you're you're just you're at a that point. You're door. just hoping for penalties on the offense to stop them. Yeah, you're yeah, exactly right. You're a saloon door. You know, and the other day, they had an opportunity to get off the field on third and eleven. The ball's incomplete, and Joe McCoy gets called for a hands to the face. Mm-hmm. You know, and they go down and score. I mean, it's that sort of thing. You know, it's it's on the players too, um, but you know. Players feel this way that not everybody could suck. You know, we we got we got fifty three guys in here, and a lot of them play defense. They can't all suck, so they're looking for the answers. You got to give them the answers. And I, you said something earlier about do less. I'm one of those do less guys. I mean, I, I again, maybe I'm just, you know, I know you can dummy it down to the point where, you know, the other team can attack can attack you because there's no disguising, but. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. And I'm not saying you don't disguise things. It's just that whatever you do, you need to be able to do well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this again, this is a Tony Dungy principle. You know, we're going to do less, but we're going to do it better. Um, I think there's something to that. Football is still whipping the guy in front of you. It's still knowing your assignment. Um, well, it's still and, and the, your... NFL, the NFL today has become a mistake league. Sure it it's, has. Don't make mistakes and you can win. That's right. And so if you're doing a lot of things bad, you've got no shot. Mm -hmm. If you're doing a lot of things, if you're doing less things well, yeah, they may rack up yards and even some points, but you've got a better shot to to cause mistakes on the other side more often. So it's going to be an interesting uh, week. I'll tell you, there's a lot at stake um, for everybody, and and especially no no one more than Dirk Cutter because he's he's had everything stripped away. I mean, he's just bare. You know, the emperor has no clothes at this point. I mean – and and I like Dirk. I think I think he's a good head coach. I think he can do this job. I don't really have a, a great reason for why, and obviously he doesn't either for why that that this defense has become you know historically awful. But I've also seen things change, you know, and maybe they hit a part of the schedule now, you know, because the teams they played were either team playoff teams last year or you know certain to be this year. But maybe they get on a roll. They've got to get to three and three, which would not bury them in the NFC South. Carolina lost to Washington the other day. 
Atlanta, I believe, had a bye week, but they've you know they've got a game at hand. I'm sorry, not Atlanta, but New Orleans. So they got a game at hand at New Orleans with the win they had there. So you know, if you get to three and three, you beat Baker Baker Mayfield, who's you know a little gimpy. Then you know, assuming Duffner holds them to I don't know 25, you've got a chance. You know, you got a chance to keep getting better because they do have young guys that are playing right now. But well, and if you look at the um, schedule too, only two of the next six opponents have a better record than the Bucks. There you go. I mean, the there Browns, the Redskins. The Redskins have the same record. Or mm-hmm. no, I'm sorry, the Redskins. It's three of six because Redskins have a better record. Um, right. But the Giants, the Niners, the Browns are all worse records than the Bucks. Sure. And, you know, as, of course, as we do this on a Monday night, San Francisco's beating Green Bay right now. So, yeah, well. you know, I mean, there's no easy team in the NFL. No, there we isn't. already have established that. But, but they, are, they, are, they are not playoff teams or Super Bowl, pick to go to Super Bowl contenders, that sort of thing. Um, so they, they would have a chance, you would think. But, um, you know, it's, it's, look, it's, it's always a bad day when guys lose their jobs. I mean, we like Mike Smith. He's an easy guy to deal with. He's a good guy. Uh, overall, and you know, I'm not going to hold a telethon for him because he's going to be just fine. I, I think if he wants to coach, he probably will somewhere again, and you know, he's certainly going to get plenty of uh, plenty of money to walk out the door with. But uh, maybe this will get their attention. You know, maybe guys will realize just sort of you know their jobs at stake too if they're willing to get rid of a of a Mike Smith. So. Lots to talk about um, at One Buck Place this week as they begin to prepare for the Cleveland Browns, which is another franchise, much like the Bucs, that has had no playoff success, can't get a quarterback to the second contract. Uh, changed, they changed coaches. Second like contract. They can't most, get a quarterback to the second season. Oh, well, that's – yeah, second game at <laughs> what's times. That, what's that jersey uh, that uh, they've got going on of all the quarterbacks? Oh, it's great. Oh, it's great. It just is. So, But, but seriously, if they're – if – if the Tampa Bay Bucks had a twin, okay, an ugly, neglected, <laughs> uh, unsuccessful twin, it's the Cleveland Browns, you know, because those are the two teams that have gone the longest without, you know, an appearance in the postseason. And there's just so many parallels between these two organizations. So they need to get this one. Let's put it that way. I mean, they really do. Um and so look, if they win this, they're three and three. Yeah, they're they're fine. They're I mean they're not great, but they're right they're right in the middle of things, that's for sure. You know, New Orleans, you don't know what's gonna happen to them. Their defense is bad. Mm-hmm. Look, we've seen enough bad defense in the NFL. These guys are not the Lone Rangers. They just happen to be the worst of what's going on right now. So there is definitely a movement towards offensive football. This is not an accident that all of a sudden every quarterback completes seventy four percent. You know, and every team is going to throw for 6,000 yards. I mean, something is a little bit askew here that they're going to have to figure out. Now, the one thing in this game, the Browns, we talked about the Bucs turnover. The Browns forced the most. That's right. So, Jameis Winston. They have a good defense. Look, you don't sneeze on their defense. Yeah, their their defense is legit. Their offense struggles, but. That's right. And And the best thing you could say is Baker Mayfield is a rookie, and he's a little gimpy right now. And I would assume he's going to play, but if he doesn't, Tyrod Taylor will, and he's very capable of beating these guys. In fact, he beat these guys as a Buffalo Bills quarterback, what, a year ago, two years ago? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was last season, actually. So, you know, 
The, the, look, any teams capable. Any team that goes against Tampa and says this is the worst defense we're going to face in the league this year comes in pretty damn confident. Let's put it that way. Even the Browns aren't going to sit there going, "Well, we don't have a chance this week," you know. So they've got to get it going, and it's not going to be easy. Look, Gerald McCoy is nicked up. He has a calf injury. We don't know anything about it. He wasn't in the walking boot on Monday, you know. But Vita Vea had a similar injury. He was out seven weeks. So McCoy couldn't talk because he's injured. It didn't look like reading his – and I'm pretty good at reading his moods. It doesn't look to me like he's going to be able to play this week. Now, he's surprised me before, um, but just watched him, you know, trying to avoid putting weight on that, on that uh, you know, on that injury, that calf injury, um, was not confidence-inspiring. So, you know, you've got a lot of things like that to contend with as well. Um, the other thing, the other uh, piece of news, which was that crazy play at the end of the game, people are still talking about that and just how, you know, that would be the instant classic, right? If the Bucks had pulled off sort of a modified Stanford band play, if you will, that last second, last gasp, um, you know, gadget play. In this case, you know, Jameis Winston runs a quarterback draw as far as he can go and then laterals back ostensibly to Mike Evans, but it gets batted up around by Adam Humphreys. It hits the ground. Um, you know, Evans recovers it, does a 180, sees Deshaun Jackson jumping up and down. And by that time, people have left Deshaun to go try to tackle Jameis or Mike. And he throws a bad ball. It was a lateral. It was backwards, but he throws a bad ball, goes out of bounds to the eight-yard eight line. So, you know, I asked the Bucks, you know, if – Deshaun Jackson somehow comes up with that and runs it in the end zone. You guys win, right? And they go, no. I was like, what? No, we wouldn't have won. It wouldn't have counted. I go, what wouldn't have counted? The whole play. And they apparently contacted the NFL before the season and told them that this is what they wanted to do. And the league was very careful to tell them that, you know, if there's a fumble and you could rule a lateral that hits the ground, a fumble, but if there's a fumble, only in, inside of two minutes, only the player who fumbles the ball can recover it. So that's the premise that the Bucks were working off of when they designed the play. But then after the game, Pro Football Talk contacted uh, the NFL office, and they said, no, it would not have been a fumble. Um, that, you know, because it's a pass and not, you know, not just a guy losing the ball, um, it, the play was okay, so long as every – you know, every attempt or every lateral was backwards. What so, I'd be real curious of is what would the officials on the field have thought? I, well, I, mean, I think it would I mean, first. If the NFL says if it's, a, if it's a fumble, okay, yeah. It's, so New York it's would true. have decided this, and then we would have known for sure because it was a mess, and it would have taken a while to sort out. Yeah. And can you imagine Deshaun getting into the end zone for an apparent touchdown or a signal touchdown and they're running off the field and the game's over and then all of a sudden they, you know, they consult with the referee who consults with New York and then sometime in the locker room they're told, oh, yeah, by the way, you guys lost <laughs> after the celebration. Um, that, that would have been, been, that been even crazier. Yeah, that, that locker room would have been bonkers. Um so I don't know. If I'm if I'm Mike Evans, I'm just trying not to beat myself up too much. The bottom line about this play, by the way, um, you know, people say, well, that's not an NFL play. Well, 
all teams work on this eventuality. Absolutely. They all have hook and ladders in, in these type yeah, of plays. Yeah, end, end, end of game plays, whether it's, whether it's, you know, Hail Marys, like you said, the hook and ladder, um, in this case, the throwback. Um, the execution is what left to be desired. Because when you practice these plays, no one's going to go full speed and hit your quarterback, okay? Mm-hmm. So the quarterback takes off on a draw play, and he's like a bat out of hell. And he gets he, he gets too far to where the defenders are indeed collapsed all he around. He held him. on a little too long. Too long. The way the play is executed, because I've talked to people about it over there at One Buck, is that he's got to get rid of the ball before he is surrounded by people, before he is hit. Mm-hmm. He wants to throw that football, preferably all the way to Deshaun on the sideline because those yes. guys collapsed when they saw the draw play. Mm-hmm. They left their guy, you know? And Deshaun's open almost from the jump street. So the best case scenario is he flips it all the way out there on the sideline and it's a touchdown. If he can't do that, he's got Mike Evans. But Mike Evans is there to block. Mike Evans' job is to sit there and crack back, you know, on anybody that tries to get out to Deshaun. So that's the way the play – now that, you know, if you think about that and then you watch the replay, you go, oh, man, they weren't – you know, Jameis wasn't even close. Yeah. You know? Well, a he lot of people had like, problems with the play call, and sure. because you know, well, it's on the twenty-yard line. You have you can get to the end zone from there. I but get it. The, the, and and if you if you disagree with the play call, that's fine. I mean, all teams have this. If you just think it's a bad play, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, all teams have these plays. But calling it there is no one expected it there. That's why no. it had a shot to work. Is that they were not prepared for that play. Right. The defense. Now, Jameis got too far and then, you know, didn't make a very good lateral because he had everyone around him. Yep. But, you know, the whole point of a fake punt or a trick play is that the, the defense is not supposed to be expecting it. That's if, right. If, if you're at, the, if you're at the, your own 40-yard line run, they're expecting that play. Sure. You know, and that's where, you know, and they kind of came up to the line scrimmage quickly, ran it. You know, I, I had no problem with the play call personally. I mean, it wasn't executed well. Okay, fine. Yeah, but if he gets in the end zone, we're, I mean, that's, a, like I said, we're making movies about that, you know? <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just one of those deals. Um, I said it, you know, at the time before the snap, I thought that with seven seconds being that close to the goal line, you're at the 20, that there was a real good chance of getting two plays off if you went to the end zone. Mm-hmm. Now, there might only be one second left. You know, it's a risky thing, obviously, but – you know, when you consider that guys run, you know, four, 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 five, 40 yard dashes, and this is a 20 yard, you know, spart uh, space you got to cover, there's going to be time. Or you and could have even run a 10 yard out. You, you could have. And, and, and got and down to the 10. I think or, they know. had time, regardless of that, if, if a guy either got out of bounds or they fired it in the end zone, I really believe they had time for a couple of plays. I just do. I think seven seconds. You know, six is dicey, but seven you might you might be able to have a play with one second but left. In but in part, they may have been anticipating that Atlanta was thinking there was two plays left too. So you're not going to run that trick play. They might I mean, have. That, that's, the play, that's all part of the psychology of it too. That's right. I know what you know that you know that I know that you know. And <laughs> seriously, that's no, that's, absolutely. You know, that's that's how coaches think. That's if you if you open their brains, you know, and you go in there and you look at the play, I mean, it's like Madden, but. That's that's how they think that you know that I know, but then I know you know that I know, so then I'm going to do something different, and you just have to carry that out. 
And and besides which, they hadn't tried to throw the ball in the end zone in the play before. It didn't go really well. You know, they had mm-hmm. a couple of guys doubled. Um, they had Julio Jones back there. I mean, it was, you know, it was crazy. So, um, you know, Munkin went for the kill and didn't get it. And the clock ran out. I think they could have had two plays in one, one second, but they wind up losing. And, and now that whole game is, is gone and you've got to focus on Cleveland, but you're doing it. You know, you're doing it without a member of your coaching staff. Well, and, and the other uh, thing, too, in this game, and you know, you, asked, you and Tom talked about it in yesterday's podcast, too, is the kicker put him behind, the, behind again. They're chasing points. Instead killed of needing him. a field goal to tie at the end, you need a touchdown. That's right. That's right. And I, and I still – and, you know, poor Matt Bryant, by the way. Wow, you know, it was 57-yarder, and that may be his It last. was a bridge too far. I mean, here's a guy that's 43 years old, Dan Quinn making – you know, either the dumbest or the most genius decision in the world, and I still say it was dumb. Um, you know, risking a chance of giving the Bucks the ball on their own forty-five yard line with a minute left, no timeouts, and only needing a field goal to win. And he tries a fifty-seven yard bomb. And Matt Bryant, God bless him, he hit it and made it, but he also ripped up his hamstring. <laughs> so it's not funny, man, but I mean, at 43, you realize the last kick in his career could have been that one mm-hmm. to bury the Bucks, which I'm sure he'll take great delight in um, if, in fact, that's the way it plays out, although I'm sure he probably wants to play again. But, yeah. yeah. But, I, you know, I, I personally – I mean, I don't know if it was a good, a good play or not by Dan Quinn, but I like a coach. It's a terrible play. I, Come on. I, no, I, 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 didn't have a, I didn't disagree with it at the time. Look, you're in a dome. You didn't? You, you're in a dome. you got a kicker that you know can 57? kick. 57? On the broadcast, they even mentioned that he was making 58, 59 from there. I know he was hitting there, him, but, man, pre- it's not, even if he's hitting him in practice, that doesn't mean it's a high percentage kick, though, I didn't right? say it was high. Well, not high percentage what no, would you say? What would you say the odds were, even for Matt Bryant, that he was going to make that field goal? 50 50? 50-50. Okay. So I'm going to bet. But you're also my game, you're, you're also one, one in four. Five. You're one in four and trying to play. You're tr- you're trying to you're trying to put the game away. Or make it yeah, a lot harder for my, the Bucks. Make it a lot harder for the Bucks. But I but if you're trying to make it harder for the Bucks, that's to me is is risking making it really damn easy. I mean, it's just not worth it. To me, well, I don't know. I look. I could be wrong. I mean, they, I don't know if I would have made. Back. I don't know if I would have made that call as coach. I wouldn't have had the guts for that. But you, I, you know, I, I, I think coaches as a whole are too conservative. Oh, I agree. And I here's the other play that you could have done if you were gonna if you were gonna risk giving the ball, giving Tampa Bay the ball right there. You could have just gone for it. It's fourth and two. Well, that that may the have been what over. I would have done more. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would, I would have, prob- I would have probably done that over kicking the field goal myself. Absolutely, but. I'd rather take a chance that we have a play to go two yards after we've shredded these guys, than to have to rely on my, Matt Bryant to kick us, a, you know, a field goal from fifty-seven. But that's that's you know what? That's why the guys get paid. I was talking to Raheem Morris about it, and I said, "Man, I said you guys just killed Matt Bryant. You realize that by making him go out there and try to shove that thing through from fifty-seven. As he's forty-three years old, for God's sakes. So, but he did it, and the Bucks lose, and it was exciting. And Jameis Winston had a really good game, right up until, as Lovey Smith would say, uh, you know, the red zone, red zone got him. So interesting. There are two different viewpoints from the NFL, what they told the Bucks before the season and what they are now saying now to people like Pro Football Talk and others 
that no, Deshaun, Deshaun, that, that would have counted because the lateral was backwards. So whether you believe it or not, the point is moot, but it is it is interesting. Speaking of interesting, how is it that I can go to the last two games and see a grand total of one goal, and then I'm out of town and I look at the score, and Columbus was supposed to be a really good defensive team, right? And then they blasted Columbus, the Lightning did, eight Eight goals they scored. It looked like right? a, it looked like a team that was tired of answering questions about why can't you score. <laughs> See, so and, we do get the credit. And as Stephen Stamkos, you know, had said after Thursday's game when they asked, "Are you worried about goal scoring?" He said, "No, we're the highest scoring team in the league last season. Not worried." And he was right. And look, I think part of it was look, I, I you know they've got enough skill on the team. They were going to score goals at some point. They're not going to sit there and have a goal a game for the whole season. But I, I like the line changes they've made. They moved J.T. Miller down to the fourth line. He's playing with Adam Ernie and Cedric Puckett. They now broke up Kucherov and Stamkos, which, as you know, I've been saying for a long time. To been do calling for for a year yes. and a half. That's right. So Stamkos is now playing with Braden Point and Yanni Gord. You got, you got the triplets back together, Johnson, yep. Palat, and Kucherov. And they kept the Sorelli, Gord, and Matthew Joseph line together, which has been the best line for the first two games, now three games. And Look, I think J.T. Miller – He's a he's a good player. He's the top six forward. But when he was playing with Stamkos and Kucherov, I think he got away from what his game is. His game is, is to be physical, to go to dirty areas of the ice. Dirty Instead, goals, baby. He yeah. was trying to set up Kucherov and Stamkos too much, which is, you know, what naturally you're going to do when you're playing with two elite shooters like that. That's right. Yeah. I think Stamkos and Kucherov stop shooting because they're playing they're trying to set each other up. And sometimes they make some brilliant passes and do, but for mm-hmm. the most part, you'd like to see them put the puck on net a lot more. I think the triplets play pretty well together. I don't think you know this season they'll have the magic of three years ago when they did, but they know each other very well. They play very well, and and you know Tyler Johnson and Andre Palat together are, are, are creative enough to set up Kucherov. Gordon Braden Point can be setting up Steven Stamkos for shots, and that's what you want. Those two elite shooters shooting. That's what you want. And so I like I like the new line, and you know of course in in practice on Monday the line stayed the same. Of course after scoring eight goals you're not going to change a thing. I, I really I think this is their best line going their lines going forward. I hope they keep it for a while. I hope the pro, the productivity keeps following with it. Um, the power play finally scored some goals in this game. And how about the penalty kill this year? Oh my God! Oh for fourteen. Great. Yeah. Now, some of the time, starts, Vasilevsky's been the best penalty killer on some of those. Uh, yeah, and, it starts and, with and your goalie needs right. to. Your goalie has to do that sometimes. Yep. But o- overall, I mean, it's been a much better penalty kill than what we saw a good part of last season, particularly the Don't first half. Don't they have uh, some new coaching as well there? Yeah, I mean, Todd Richards is now taking over the penalty kill coaching. And so, yeah, I mean, there's that. I, I think there's a commitment. I, you know, Anton Strawman talked about it after the first game is that, you know, look, sometimes having a fresh start, you know, last year your stats got so bad that no matter how good you did late, you couldn't Lord get your matter, stats yeah. up. Having a fresh start can help that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, I, I also think, you know, Ryan McDonough on the back end, he's been – I think he's been their best defenseman. Uh, Victor Hedman offensively still gives you more. But as far as playing defense, I think Ryan McDonough has been the best one on the team so far in three games. And, and him being – familiar with the system and here now from training camp through not coming through a trade deadline and he was hurt at the time and came back even after that you know I think that helps too so good start for the lightning and that you know winning 8-2 helps Uh, they've got two more home games now Carolina tonight 
who is a much improved team from the teams we're used to seeing the last few seasons, and then Detroit on Thursday before they go on the road for five games in eight days. Well, they got to get out to a good start. I think they know how valuable good starts are after last year. And, you know, if the goals come anything close to what they did the other night against Columbus and, and they're that explosive, then they're going to have a good season again. I mean, they have the talent. It's a loaded hockey team, and they, they know they know what they have in that room too. You know, teams teams understand, you know. I mean, they got to go out and do it, right? But teams understand what uh, what their capabilities are. Well, not only that, but, I mean, your team's in your division. Look, Toronto is 6-1. and one. They've already played seven oh, yeah. games. Boston's four and one. Uh, mm-hmm. Montreal's actually three one and one. You know, yep. now, the Tampa Bay is behind all them only because they've only played three games to this point. Three games, yeah. But you know, Toronto and Boston, who we know are going to be you know competing for this the division title among I think Florida. Although Florida's actually o two and one to start the season, they're the last in the division. But you know, Toronto and Boston, they're off to hot starts. You've got to you've got to match them. You can't fall too far behind now. That's right, and I think they will. I think they'll they'll get off to another good start. But it was great to see them score that many goals, and if they could just do that when I uh, when I decide to, to why don't uh, you stay away? You know what? There are two <laughs> things that I need to do: stay away from the lightning, and then the other thing I need to do is stop picking the Bucks to win a football game. I am, and people that listen to the podcast or or listen to us, we have that that uh, show, that crazy show on Sunday mornings. The what's it called? The insiders, the insiders or something like that, and WDA. Um, I, every game except for the, maybe the first one, I can't, there's one, I got one right where I picked them and actually won, but pretty much anytime I pick them, they lose. And if I pick them to win, they, if I pick them to lose, they win. So you know which way I'm going from now on, but, uh, and I don't care. It's just that I get so much grief because now people (laughs) think it's a thing. It's like, Oh God, no, don't pick us, please. It's like, I really don't want to. You're becoming the next Tom Jones. I am. I'm, I'm, well, look, there's a. Let's not get carried away here. I mean, there there are aspects of that statement that I would like a lot. Don't get me wrong, but there are others where you know me and him were sort of sort of opposites as well as as well as brothers. This has been a uh, an interesting day. It's been a long day for me, uh, which started at three thirty in the morning in Atlanta. If you uh, think you like this business and it's easy, try getting up at that hour, and then having Mike Smith fired on your way to a press conference. So. Uh, it's been interesting, and it's going to be an interesting year. Look, either way, special good, special bad. The Bucks are a story. People are passionate about them, and we'll, of course, be following them uh, all week long. We'll try to get Tom Jones on the program. We're going to have Matt Baker on Thursday again, talk a little college football. Uh, Matt's uh, now become kind of a regular. Looks forward to it. We look forward to having him. Yeah, how's your wife doing, by the way? You know what? She went to bed. Look. I knew – I think I told you Hornybrook was horrible, mm-hmm. except what I didn't mention was he's the worst quarterback I've ever seen, okay? There, there was a point where his, his only – his last completion was his second pass of the game, and they were in the fourth quarter, okay? So you can't win even at the college level, a good college team with a good line and a good running back. You can't win without the quarterback. You just can't win. Hats off to Michigan. Hail to the victors, and Jim Harbaugh needed that one. Oh, by the way, Penn State, I told you I don't like their coach, right? Mm-hmm. He's not very good. Yeah, they got beat by Michigan State at home. That's two in a row at home they've lost. You can't you can't do that. Now, your Michigan Wolverines got Penn State next, right? Uh, no, they're at Michigan State this week. Okay, Michigan State. Then a bye, State. then Penn State at home. But you know what's going to happen? Penn State's going to come back with a vengeance now that nothing matters. And they're gonna they're gonna beat somebody that really needs to win. Sure. 
Because that's what Penn State does. Well, I mean, that, yeah, I mean, that's what a lot. Well, that's what college football is. It is. I mean, yeah. as soon as you think you've got college football figured out outside of Alabama, right? You know, Georgia got whooped by LSU. Oh, there were some great games. I mean, yeah, Georgia got yeah. stomped. It wasn't. Um, you know, it's one thing to, to lose at LSU, but they got beat pretty bad. And how about how about the UCF Memphis game? By the way, Memphis blew that. They that was the worst clock management I've ever seen. Yeah, it was at the end bad. of that game. It was bad. My wife's a Memphis alum, so I was following that game a lot. Yeah. Well, that's not far from where I went to college at Arkansas State, nope. right across exactly. the river. Yep. So, yeah, that was that was a crushing one for them because Memphis, you know, certainly deserved to win. But uh, so it was good, good uh, college football, and then you know, the Florida Gators overcoming an eighteen point deficit and a, a for, fight <laughs> and a <laughs> fight, fight and their best player getting thrown out of the game. On defense, yeah, no, that was a that was a crazy game. I mean, that was that was that was one of your trap games. And oh, early, yeah. it kind of looked like it almost. You know, after oh, beating yeah. LSU, you got Georgia up next. Mm-hmm. But they persevered. Now they get a that. bye week. USF yeah. USF with another come from behind victory. Oh my God, jeez! I mean, they're not playing very well, but in the fourth quarter, Blake Barnett knows how to come back. He, he makes some doing nice it. plays. He made some nice plays, and and they are ranked, you know, this week, which is good for them. I, and even though Matt Baker, I don't think Matt Baker is going to rank them. This. Didn't I didn't see if he top. did, but <laughs> no, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't put him on there again. So Matt's ingratiating himself, and we'll talk to him about that on Wednesday. Um, hey, make sure by the way you go see Howard and Sue Million. You want to be a millionaire? Well, they've got all your air conditioning needs, and currently they have zero percent interest for seventy-two months on qualifying. Train equipment, so call them at 727-862-2100. Trust the masters of comfort. Millionaire. Oh, and one last thing. A couple of the Rays coaches interviewing for managerial jobs around the league. Rocco Baldelli's yeah, interviewed Baldelli? several places. Charlie Montoya interviewed with the Reds, I know. Yeah. Uh, that's what happens break when you up win the 90 Rays. games. Yeah, break up the Rays. That's that's exactly what happens. They want a piece of that, that brilliance that uh, – that the Rays have shown, and I and I can't blame them. You know, these guys deserve it, including their front office. They should have a couple guys become general managers off that team as well. Let's not go too far. Let's keep them here. They seem <laughs> right. to know. Well, they they seem to know what they're doing. <laughs> well, that's the thing. They'll just spread. The, they'll take the secret sauce, and all of a sudden, you know, you'll have Big Macs everywhere. So you don't want that. But yeah. uh, but that's that's sort of what's happening. So. Yeah, interesting, interesting week coming up. Um, you know, again, more fallout. We'll have a chance to talk to Mark Duffner this week, I'm sure. Uh, so, you know, Jameis Winston, again, still with the turnovers. And then, you know, it's the Browns and the Bucks on Sunday. So look forward to that one with possibly Baker Mayfield, who's a little nicked up. He had a little bit of a, of a gimpy ankle or, or something in this last game. So we'll see if he can play as well. Anyway, we thank you guys for joining us. We're here every Monday through Friday. And, um, you know, stay tuned. Who knows what other changes the Bucks may make this week. You can always go to TampaBay.com and make sure you check out our best Bucks coverage right there. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. 
And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.